Thanks, guys. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, that's where our reading will be. Um, Robert, you need to switch the... Oh, you did. Cool. All right. Um, So tonight, our Gospel reading will be taken from Matthew, chapter 13. It's a short one. Um, Our parable is actually two parables, but... uh, They're pretty short, and um, some of you may recognize these. It's pretty well known. Uh, Taken from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. Jesus says this, or it says, He told them, being Jesus, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, we have two short parables to talk about tonight, and uh, we'll start with the mustard seed. You know, you may notice this, uh, Paul talked about it in his letter to the Corinthians that Cobus read. Um, Jesus, and, and, and around the time of the Bible, um, they talked about seeds a lot, right? They talked about seeds and farming and, and, and gardening a lot, and of course this is because it was an agrarian society, you know, most people either lived by a farm, knew a farmer, were a farmer. Um, in this room, I'm just curious, how many of you in this room um, have at any time in your life been a farmer? Anyone? How many of you in this room, maybe your parents or immediate fa- or close family were farmers? All right, so we're getting pretty far removed from this, right? I think if we go back far enough, uh, I mean, some of us have tried to grow gardens, but that usually is with mixed success. Um, This is why Jesus is talking about all these analogies, right? Because people at the time were much more familiar. But fortunately, this is a really simple one that I think we can understand. Um, He's speaking, actually, to huge crowds of people here, and it's a mostly, obviously, Jewish audience. Uh, Jesus, it says here, actually, you notice that he spoke, he never spoke without using a parable. And you say, well, that's not true. I've read through the Gospels, and he speaks all the time without parables. This was when Jesus was talking to large crowds of people, rather than the disciples or Pharisees or the teachers of the law. So when Jesus was addressing large crowds, he's speaking in in parables. And this is something that he did quite often, as we've seen, as we go through. And um, the people, though, the reason he did this, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but the reason he did this was so that people might understand more of what he was getting at. So that he would give people the option to speak into, he would speak into their lives and they would sort of think about the story and the metaphor or the analogy and they would think, wow, I wonder, I wonder how that applies to me. Rather than maybe saying like he did to the teachers of the law, you know, harsh, strict things that sort of made them really angry with him. But even still, he's painting a picture and it's, it's, it's one that these people would be familiar with. And so he starts in verse 31 by saying really quite simply, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Anyone who's ever seen a mustard seed knows how small that is. Fits really easily on the tip of your finger. Um, Very, very, very small. And he says that a man takes this seed, or woman, a person takes the seed, 
and plants it in, in a field, right? Very simple, basics of farming, okay? This is what you have to do if you want things to grow. You have to put them in the ground, okay? Then, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, this one small seed, this mustard seed, becomes, in fact, a very, very large plant or a tree. Um, you can Google images of this. I didn't want to go through all different kinds of, you know, different... Uh, categories of what the, he could exactly be talking about or what the exact tree or plant Jesus was referencing, but just type in, you know, Middle Eastern mustard tree and you'll see lots of options in Google. But then he says that not only does this thing grow, but then all the birds come and perch in its branches. Though it is small, it grows into a giant bush or tree and gives home to birds. And, and as we know that birds go to trees for shelter and protection, things like this. And it's a simple analogy that the plant should grow, that it should become strong, it should become useful and beneficial to the world. Much like, as he says, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that we too should take it, plant it, in our lives, that it would grow, and just as birds find shade in the tree, so too do we become useful and helpful to other people. When the kingdom of God is at the center of our lives, that we grow and we provide opportunities to help and be kind and be useful to others. It's a simple parable. And he goes on to give another simple parable. This one, only one sentence. He says, it's like a woman who took and mixed a large amount of yeast, in, or took and mixed yeast into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. And if you're familiar with scripture, this one can be a little bit more confusing because just about everywhere else in scripture, yeast is bad. Right? It says in Scripture that just a little bit of yeast actually ruins the whole lump of dough. But it seems like here what Jesus is saying is actually positive. And if not positive, at least it's intentional in light of the context. That this woman that intentionally added yeast into this dough for a reason or a purpose until it was all the way worked through. And I interpret this parable, my best, my best interpretation of this is to mean a similar thing as the mustard seed that this person took the yeast intentionally, added it into the dough, and that the whole dough was changed. It wasn't just a portion. It wasn't just the yeast resided in a little bit, but it worked through the whole thing. To change, to affect every aspect of it. Jesus, in effect, in essentially is saying, the kingdom of God, once it's in our lives, once we've placed it in the ground, once we begin mixing it in, it changes everything. The purpose of the kingdom of God, you might say, is to actually transform us. Because the seed does not stay a seed. Once it is in the ground and begins being watered and goes through the seasons, the seed transforms. <coughs> Excuse me. Once the yeast is in the dough, the dough is transformed. And then he goes on, or Matthew goes on to tell us that Jesus did this he spoke to the crowd in parables so it would be fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to utter things and since the creation of the world. He's actually quoting, you may see it in your Bible, it says it at the bottom. He's quoting Psalm 78, which is a great psalm to read if, if uh, you want to do that later this week. It's very, very long. We probably don't have time for it now. But he's saying that the point of this is to reveal to the people Things hidden since the creation. Another way to say that is some of the mysteries of God. Some of the things that are sort of hard to understand. But for us, you know, when we read these parables, it's a little confusing. It can be a little confusing. So let me explain 
something that was really helpful to me. Um, in the last week or so, you know, as pastors do, we, we study and we read things about the parables. And this one was kind of short. And to be honest with you, I was sort of thinking, okay, we have a really short parable. I really like it, um, but, but what is it that I can share that would encourage and, and lift and support you all up as well? And so I started reading about parables and looking for some things and looking for more than just this really kind of simple interpretation, as I've just mentioned. And I came across um, one of my favorite pastors. He was also an author of stories and everything, a guy from the 19th century named George MacDonald. Um, I encourage you to read his stuff if you haven't. I love it. Um, and he says this about the parables that I really liked. He says, one of the biggest mistakes we make in life is we think the parables are for our intellect, meaning that we should break them down and try to figure out every single meaning and apply them through every area of life. But really, what George MacDonald said was that the parables are not for our intellect, but they're for our will. They're for our actions. They're for how we live our life. Meaning that we can learn from them, but if we were to define all of our theology about who God is from the parables alone, it just wouldn't really make a lot of sense. These stories, these analogies are meant to inspire us. They're meant to lead and influence our lives and our actions, but they're not going to give us everything we need to know about God. They point us to a greater truth and uh, how to understand life, but they don't define all of these things about God. Because really, they're, they're, they're metaphors or analogies, and, and they break down eventually. All, right? all metaphors break down eventually. With this, it's really simple. Take the, the mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and it grows inside of you and becomes a great tree, and we think, wow, that's awesome. So, but wait a minute, but trees can die. Trees can be cut down. Does that mean someone could cut down the kingdom of God in my life and then it would be dead inside of me? No, of course not. Analogies break down. So with these simple parables, what then can we learn about how to live? Because if we overanalyze them, to be honest with you, it's like if you're familiar with the English idiom, you're beating a dead horse. It's, it's, it's not helpful to just keep going and keep going and look at every single thing. What in the world? When I look at these parables, I think there's a couple of really simple things we can learn about our lives. A couple of really simple things that you and I can understand but spend a lifetime working on. And in these two parables, we have two things. We have one is an image of growth, right? The seed growing into a tree. And another is the image of change. That the dough becomes leavened, right? The, the yeast works all the way into itself. And so what is growth? Well, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was what's one word that sort of encapsulates both of these things? Because if Jesus was teaching these back to back, there was a reason. And so the word I thought about that sort of encapsulates both of these is the word transformed. Jesus says that the kingdom of God should transform us, should make us into something new. Not like what we were before. Something new, something different. And it's not that it's you or it's me trying to work, trying to do all of the good things we should be doing that we would transform. But it's God working in us. Right? This is why he doesn't say that the, you know, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who, you know, whatever, pr pruned the tree, built it all up, formed it, did it, other stuff. He just sort of simply gives a simple analogy that says it's like a farmer who plants a seed and then it grows into a great thing. God will work in us and through us. Now, there are things we do along the way, but what he's saying here is it's God doing the work. And I love the, <coughs> the, the, the comparison he makes here when he talks about birds in the tree. I love this because 
One of my passages that, um, and, and if you're like me, some of us are worriers. Some of us have a lot of anxiety in life. Some of us worry about the future a lot. And, and there's this great passage in Matthew chapter 6 that talks about not worrying. Many of us, many of you may know it where he says, consider the birds of the air, right? They don't worry. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. They don't worry about where they're going to sleep. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6 that, that God is caring for the birds of the air. And here Jesus is using a kind of a similar analogy that the kingdom of God is what works all these things out. The, the kingdom of God is like how God cares and lifts up the birds and gives shelter for the birds. It's kind of a fun parallel to see how God can use and transform us. That through the kingdom of God, God will actually use us to do his will. That God's will is that you and I would be transformed so that we can help and care for God's creation, for God's people. That the kingdom of God works in us in a way that helps and benefits others and transforms you and I in the process. From seed to tree. We grow and are transformed. And when we look at the example of the yeast, we see that the kingdom of God, like I've talked about, changes everything. The dough, once dough has yeast in it, it can no longer be unleavened, right? Once there's yeast in it, it's, it's what it is. The whole thing has changed. And, and it's a simple thing, but let me just say it really clearly and really bluntly, church, the kingdom of God changes us. Right? When we become a Christian, when you stand up, whether it's through baptism, whether it's you know, however you came to know Jesus Christ in your journey and in your story, what you, were not, what you were saying was that I believe Jesus was who he said he was. And in doing so, again, whether through baptism, whether through confession, whatever your story is, you're saying that you believe the teachings of Jesus, which is the kingdom of God is available to us here and now. That we're not simply waiting for heaven or the new heaven and the new earth, but that we are looking for transformation now. And it's not just on Sundays, it's not just in our actions, it's not just when it's convenient for us, but it changes our entire being. To think about the analogy, God is watering the seeds and growing them through the Spirit, through the Word, through our relationships with one another, through our worship, through coming together in church, through, through our evangelism to people at work, through whatever it is, God is growing us and changing us day by day. And so if there's one thing, and this is one thing I've butted up in Switzerland against a lot, I want to share with you. If there's one thing for all of us from such simple parables, it's this. Our faith is not private. Our faith is not something that we keep to ourselves. If we are transformed and we are to live transformed lives, to go from a seed to a tree, to go from dough that is no longer unleavened but is, is, is full of the kingdom of God, then we have to live differently. We have to stand out in this world. I always joke to, to people, I've, I've discipled um, young men over the years and they'll always talk about how difficult this is to live out their faith and, and meeting new people and immediately you don't just want to say, oh, by the way, hi, my name's Sam, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian and you probably think I'm really judgmental, sorry about that. Um... I don't introduce myself that way. Sometimes I should because I end up, people end up bringing it up later, but it's fine. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I've talked to lots of people about this, and I had one guy who I was talking to for a long time. He said, it's so hard to share my faith, and I said, you know, eventually people are going to find you out. How you live life, the way you talk, the way you do, either you're hiding your faith so no one ever finds out, or you're living your faith and people are going to notice. We're going to live transformed lives. 
Our faith is not, cannot be private. If you are transformed into a new being, people are going to notice, right? People are going to notice. This is what Paul was talking about in Corinthians, right? Our epistle reading. Paul gives another example. He talks about, you know, you were babies, but you're, you're eating solid food now. You should be wanting to eat solid food. You should be growing up. He says, listen, we planted, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. God changed you to the church in Corinth. He has brought the kingdom there. He has brought the spirit there. And so as Christians, as, as a church, you and I, we don't need to worry about how we're going to do this. God will do it. God will change us. God will transform us. But we need to know. We need to trust and believe that this needs to be at the center of our life. I talk to so many people about this, about keeping their faith private or about keeping it to themselves, and I just think, think about the things that you have grown in your life. Think about the restoration or the transformation for those of you who are Christians you've had in your life. Why would we ever want to keep that quiet? And I'm sorry if this sounds harsh, but like I said, all the time as a pastor I hear this. Well, that's cool for you. You're a pastor. It's easy. You know, it's fine. But for me, you know, my faith is just, it's a private thing. I don't really like to talk about it. You know, I just like to kind of keep it between me and God. Or I talk to people all the time who say, I don't really need to go to church. You know, there's all these great podcasts and these great books. And and my relationship is just really individual between me and God. Okay, I have two responses to that. The first is this. Um, If you don't talk about it, it doesn't sound like you like it that much. Okay, first of all. If you love something, you can't stop talking about it. If you love God, you can't stop talking about it. You remember when you first liked a girl or a boy in school? And then you got together with all your friends and the only thing you could do was talk about that person until your friends told you to shut up and punched you, right? I remember this very vividly when I was 14 years old, thinking that I need to stop talking about this because all my friends have abandoned me, right? Or maybe, maybe like it was the first time you got, uh, you got a new job or something really good happened to you. You posted it all over social media. You couldn't stop talking about it, right? If you like something, you're going to tell other people about it. You're going to brag about it. You're going to say, hey, this is really important to me. Look at this thing that happened. Maybe it's an engagement. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a promotion. I don't know. But you're going to share it. So first of all, I tell this to people all the time, don't tell me it's private. Okay, because if you really love God and you want to honor God and the kingdom of God is at the center of your life, you're not going to keep it private. All right? And then the second thing is, or the second part of this is that think about social media. Everyone in this world overshares, right? People are posting pictures of the food they eat on Instagram over and over because it's so fantastic and life-changing and all these other things. Why in the world aren't we, not on Instagram, you don't have to be one of those people that posts on Instagram all about Jesus if you don't want to be. But don't tell me it's a private thing. Don't tell me your faith is private and just between you and God when you're actually sharing every other detail about your life with this world voluntarily. But then when it comes to the one thing that really matters, the one thing that really transforms your heart, you say, oh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I go to church sometimes. Like, I talk to people about this all the time. Church, share what matters in this life. Share pictures of your food. Share pictures of what you're doing. But share what matters most, that which transforms us and makes us new. And the second thing is about why our faith cannot be private is Jesus Christ did not just die for you. He died for us all. Every single one of us in this room. 
Every single one of us on the train on your way home. Every single one of the people in your office and at your school. And if you have accepted the salvation Jesus offers, that means this kingdom of God is there. And it's available to you. It's available to change and transform your life. And if you're rejecting that, that's on you. If you're rejecting that, you're saying to Jesus Christ, hey, I see what you're offering me. I see you're offering me transformation. I see you're offering me to become a great big tree that provides shade for the birds and is helpful to so many people. But you know what? No, thanks. I'm just going to stay a seed in the dirt. Or I'm just going to get this big, and you know what? That's good enough for me. We're rejecting the gift. And tonight, tonight we celebrate something that is very public, that is very communal. Tonight we celebrate the gift. We call this in the church history, we call communion a feast because it's a celebration. It is a celebration that we have accepted this gift of transformation from Jesus Christ. That he offers it to all of us. Not just to the insiders, not just to the pastors, not just to those of us who went to study our Bible so many times, but all of us. And I realize that in a room this size, with this many people from different backgrounds and histories, we're all in different places with Jesus, right? We're all sort of all in different areas and different thoughts, and God may be sharing something with you that's different than the person next to you, and that's good. But I just want to be clear about something. If there's anyone in this room who doesn't identify as a Christian or who hasn't made that choice, I rarely do this, but I just need to be really clear with you about something. That when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that there was a man named Jesus who lived a perfect life, died on our behalf and rose from the dead, what we're saying is that we believe this God sent his son to die for you and for me, that you and I would be reconciled to him. That all the stuff we've done, all the things that we've said and done, that God understands, that God has forgiven us, that we no longer have to carry shame, that we no longer have to worry about these things, but that God has washed away our sins because he conquered death, we have a new life and are transformed. That we don't just sit there like a seed because some of you have done this, you've planted a seed, forgot to water it, nothing happens. We don't just have to sit there like a seed in dry dirt wondering if something is going to happen. God says, no, plant the seed and let me water it. Show, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you how I can transform you. Let me show you how I can use you to provide shade, a home for, other, for the birds, protection. How you can enjoy relationship and, and serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ. How we can all be transformed and changed, made new, healed, restored. This is what this table offers. And so when we come to the table in communion, it's for that purpose. It is for the purpose of celebrating this feast. It is for the purpose of celebrating what God has done. And so when we think about the kingdom of God implanted in us, tonight we celebrate that transformation. Tonight we celebrate that God made a promise to you and to me that he said, listen, your faith is not private. Your faith is to benefit this world. The gift you have been given inside of you is to change this place where we live. It's to change the places we work, the places we go to school, our families. 
It's not something just for us, but it's for the world. And that is why God gave us this. That we would remember and that we would be changed. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. God, we give you thanks for the transformation you offer. Lord, we repent of the times we have kept it quiet. We repent of the times we have kept silent. God, thank you for your forgiveness and your love. Thank you that we do not need to carry those things with us, but that today is a new day. And so, God, today we come to the table to feast, to say thank you, to celebrate. That tomorrow we have every opportunity to allow the kingdom of God to grow inside of each of us and to transform our very lives. Lord, you are good, and for this reason we give thanks. Amen.